0: I'm Pastor Darrell Curtis, and you're listening to the 17th part of my sermonic review of the Biblical Design of Gender, in which my point is that a man cannot be responsible in most cases for his wife's happiness because her happiness is directly proportional to the amount that she decides to be grateful for that which he does. The following is a presentation of the Family Life Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan. For more audio and video content, please visit Family Life BC. Good morning, it's the 21st day of March of uh, 2010, and our lesson this morning is the 17th part of the sermon series on the biblical design of gender, and our text is in the 30th chapter of the book of Genesis, and the first two verses, which read as follows. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? God bless the reading of his word and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit and for his ability to explain your word. So, Lord, give us the words to say, and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear our message for this morning. And let us, before we go any farther, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of christ meaning to have the bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles we come to church because we want to be obedient to the bible which is the doctrine of jesus christ in an informed insightful and intelligent manner now our takeaway point in this series on the biblical design of gender is that God has designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife so that man can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life. Now, anger has been a key topic in our last three lessons. After Jacob cheated Esau, Esau was angry enough with Jacob to threaten to kill him. And since Esau killed things for a living, Jacob and his parents decided that the best thing would be for Jacob to get out of Dodge. So Jacob traveled to his uncle Laban's house, who then cheated Jacob by giving Jacob the ugly Leah to wed rather than the beautiful Rachel for which Jacob had worked for seven years. Jacob was angry at being given the wrong sister, but since Laban wanted to keep Jacob around, he mollified Jacob by giving Rachel to Jacob as a second wife. So Jacob was mollified, having the good-looking girl that he wanted, but now Leah was miffed because she was married to a husband that didn't want her, but rather was in love with her little sister. So God intervened on Leah's behalf. Genesis 29, 31 tells us, When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Now, to compensate Leah for the lack of love of her husband, God gave Leah four sons by Jacob. Rachel had most of Jacob's time and affection. God denied Rachel the ability to have children. So each wife had some part of her husband. Leah had his children and Rachel had his affection but Jacob's affection for the beautiful Rachel did not satisfy Rachel because although Jacob preferred Rachel Leah Rachel's sister had Jacob's children our text Genesis 30 30th, chapter verse 1 and 2 tells us now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob give me children or else I die. Death, now that's really dramatic. Who do you know that has died from not having children? Nevertheless, there is another person added to the list of ticked off people in this family. But Rachel's anger is of a particularly different kind. No one is wrong, Rachel. She hasn't lost an inheritance or a blessing or been given a cross-eyed wife or a neglectful husband. Of all the people in the story, she has the least of which to complain. But she complains anyway. Job chapter 5, verse 2 in the King James Version tells us, For wrath kills the foolish man, and envy slays the silly one. According to God, an envious person is silly. There's an old story about a dog whose master had given him a bone. The dog was on his way to a comfortable spot in which to gnaw on his bone, and as he was traveling, he passed a pond. And with his bone in his mouth, he looked down into the pond and saw a dog that looked like him with a bone like his in the pond. He's my size, the dog thought, but I'm a better fighter. I can take him, and when I do, I'll have two bones. So the dog opened his mouth to bark so he could scare the other dog that he saw in the pond. But then he watched incredulously as both of them lost their bones at the same time. Actually, he should not have been envious. The dog of which he was so envious was his reflection in the water. Now, God gives each of us a certain blessing to enjoy. But if we spend time being envious of someone else's blessing, we may lose the blessing that we have and end up being able to enjoy neither blessing. And that's the key behind monogamy. All the wives represented here today are beautiful women, but I've decided to concentrate my attention on my wife because she's my blessing. Now, Marie and I once took a dance class in Grand Rapids. The instructors were a married couple from Detroit, and the female instructor was a dancer. No, not like me, who's picked up dancing in the last couple of years. I mean a real dancer, one who could have danced professionally. Not only did she possess great dance movements, but she was built like a dancer, beautiful, with voluptuous body parts, Long, shapely limbs with all the creative mannerisms and movements of a professional dancer. But we established during the beginning of the class that although there were not enough men to go around, I would only be dancing with my wife. And we stuck to that routine throughout the class. Finally, at the end of the class, she wanted to give me a final exam. She said, just dance with me for the test so I can see how well you can lead. Well, I replied, if you're a real dance instructor, you'll be able to tell whether or not I can lead by watching me dance with my wife. And she could. She still asked me to dance every time we happen to see each other at some event, but she's just messing with me because she knows I'm not going to do it. Now, there's an outside chance that she may be a better dancer than Marie, and her husband is so much better than me that it isn't funny. But I'm not envious of either of them. I figured out that if I concentrate on improving that which I have, rather than being envious of that which I do not have, I'll reach my potential much more quickly than I would by complaining about that which others have. I'm just an old guy that just picked dancing up. I have no illusions that I will ever dance as well as them, but I do anticipate that I'll be able to enjoy dancing with my wife to the fullest extent possible, given my limitations, because I'm going to concentrate on being thankful that I can enjoy the dancing that I can do. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 tells us, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And God admonishes us not to be envious or covetous of that which other people have. Deuteronomy 5.21 tells us, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor. And God has given each of us the provision that He wants us to have. And the question is whether or not we are going to be content with that which God has given it and maximize it, or are we going to be envious of that which someone else has and covet it? And if we are covetous of that which others have, we are disobeying the direct commandment of God. Paul reinforces this doctrine. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, which says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and the quotation from scripture. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me actually means that I am prepared to deal with abundance and good fortune with equanimity or suffer any trial or tribulation while maintaining my focus of being grateful for the circumstances of which God has given me to avoid covetousness we have to maintain our focus on the future if this life is all that there is of course it makes the most sense to maximize our comfort here if this life is all that there is then it makes a great deal of sense to get all that you can get from it make as much money and have as many women as you can but our takeaway point for the series tells us that god has designed man to exercise dominion over the earth for the purpose of developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life when jesus told the thief today you will be with me in paradise jesus let us know that there is another land for which we are preparing and that that we will have to arrive in that land one day so our focus rather than being on the things of this life, should be on our eternal life. Both abundance and lack are experiences given to us by God to teach us the wisdom and the commandments of the kingdom of God and to give us practice exercising dominion. And if we forget that which we are learning and decide to indulge our envious desires, we may find ourselves gaining some temporary trinkets at the expense of wisdom and knowledge. Actually, we may still gain the wisdom of knowledge, but the source of our knowledge may be a painful experience. And that's the point of the story of Lazarus and the rich man, as told by Jesus in Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 25. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died, and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise lazarus evil things but now he is comforted and you are tormented but the sin is not in having the things but in being so covetous of them that you begrudge abundance to others as did the dog that lost his bone and as did rachel who had the comforting love of her husband but begrudge the comfort of children to her sister. And although Rachel is a young woman for whom it would be natural to want children, Rachel doesn't want a child because of maternal instinct. She wants a child because her sister has children. Now, Rachel has already won the competition. Her husband wanted her first, loves her more, and shows it by giving her all his attention. But Rachel does not simply want to win the game. She wants the game to be a shutout. So she gives Jacob a dramatic ultimatum that he has no way to fulfill. And Jacob lets her know. Genesis 30 and 2 says, And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Psalm 127 3 tells us, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And mechanical and chemical methods of contraceptive notwithstanding, biblical wisdom indicates that people have children because of the will of God. If the Lord wants you to conceive a child, you will. And if the Lord does not want you to conceive, you will not. And God did not want Rachel to conceive, so she didn't. Rachel knew that Jacob was able to father children as he had fathered four by her sister. And Rachel should have realized that the problem with her lack of conception was neither her husband's lack of ability to reproduce, nor the frequency with which they performed the act of marriage. Jacob could not fulfill Rachel's desire as he had no control over the situation. And Jacob was disappointed that his wife did not have this level of awareness, and he was angry because she tried to shift the burden of her unhappiness to him. And that's a key point. A man cannot be responsible in most cases for his wife's unhappiness. He can provide her with the creature compass that are available to him, but her happiness is directly proportional to whether or not she decides to be grateful for that which he does. It is impossible for a man to do whatever a woman wants because her desires change with her circumstances. Rachel's desire to have children was a function of her envy of Leah. She was not interested in the experience of having children, but only in being competitive with her sister. Now, how can I tell this? Genesis 30 and 3 record. So Rachel said, here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. Now, the child that Bilhah was to conserve, conceive rather, would be the child of a slave to Rachel. Rachel would neither bear the child nor nurse him, but Rachel would be able to count the child as one point in her competition with her sister. Genesis 34 through 6 records, Then Rachel gave Jacob Bilhah Bilhah, her maid as wife, and Jacob went in to her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case. And he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Well, God has not really judged in favor of Rachel. Bilhah has had a child, but Rachel is still barren. But Rachel is happy, although she is no more of a mother than she was before the child was born and will have no more of the experience of motherhood than she would have had had Bilhah never conceived. As far as Rachel is concerned, the child-bearing score is now four to one. And it's not about her husband, nor is it about the child, but it's all about the score. As Genesis 37 and 8 tells us, And Rachel's made Bilhah conceived again, and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Now Rachel is not interested in bringing children into the world, but is simply wrestling with her sister. You may remember the situation caused when Sarah decided to have a child through the good offices of Hagar. Sarah was only marginally attached to the child and once she had a child herself, she was ready to throw the child of her husband and her slave under the bus and that's understandable the bond between a woman and a child is caused by the intimate contact between the woman the child and the woman if the woman does not participate in the intimate contact with the child the bond does not form so rachel will count dan and naphtali as hers as long as she can use them in the competition with her sister But the normal emotional bond between mother and child is not there. And Dan and Naphtali don't bond Jacob to Bilhah any more than the four children bonded Jacob to Leah. The physical act of sex does not emotionally connect Jacob to Bilhah. Dan and Naphtali, like Leah's children, are of no special moment to Joseph. Before a child is verbal, the emotional connection of their parents is their main form of security. So Dan and Naphtali will probably be insecure children. And procreation in a relationship other than that which God has planned has longer range ramification than just for the people getting married. So the children are just pawns in the game between Leah and Rachel as Genesis 39 through 13 says, when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah her maid and gave her to Jacob as wife. And Leah's maid, Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said a troop comes, so she called his name Gad. Then Leah's maid, Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, I am happy for the daughters will call me blessed, so she called his name Asher. Now, Jacob has eight children by four women, by three women, rather. But Jacob is only bonded with Rachel by whom he has no children. And Jacob's affections have not changed. He is still in love with Rachel and visits his other wives for procreation reasons only. And since Jacob has two other wives from which to choose when his beloved Rachel is indisposed, he doesn't have to spend time with the I challenged Leah, so Leah is neglected. But suddenly, Leah acquires something with which to bargain. Leah's son Reuben has found mandrakes in the field. Now, the root of the mandrake plant is believed to be an aphrodisiac from which a fertility drug can be extracted. And when Reuben brought the mandrake plant to his mother, realized leah realized that she didn't need the powers of the mandrake but that she could use the mandrake to obtain that which she really needed so she went to see her infertile sister and struck up a friendly conversation with her and as they were talking leah just happened to mention that reuben had procured a stash of mandrake root rachel was interested As Genesis 30 and 14 tells us, now Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Well, Leah has the mandrakes that Rachel wants and Rachel has the husband that Leah wants. So Leah proposes that they make a trade as Genesis 30 and 15 records. But Leah said to Rachel, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. And as I said, Rachel has Jacob and she decides with whom he sleeps at night. And Leah doesn't need an aphrodisiac or a fertility drug Leah needs a man. Leah wants Jacob, and she gets him from Rachel. And once Leah gets Jacob, she knows what's to do with him. Genesis 30 and 16 records, when Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. But just because Leah gave Rachel the mandrakes, it does not mean that Leah gave Rachel all the mandrakes and it also does not mean that Leah lost her connection with God. Genesis uh, 17 through 21 says, and God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. So Leah is the undisputed, undefeated champion of motherhood with six sons and a daughter. Two sons, each for the slave wives, Bilhah and Zilpah, give Jacob ten sons and a daughter, none of them by his beloved wife, Rachel. But Rachel has matured. She has proven her ability to overcome her envy and share her beloved Jacob with Leah. So God rewards her, as Genesis 30, 22 to 24 records. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb, So she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Now, Jacob finally has the son that he wants, a boy by his beloved Rachel. And Joseph is clearly Jacob's favorite. As the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 37, verse three and four, which says, now Israel, that is Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he also made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now, it is an extremely negative thing for a father to favor one son over the others because brothers need their father to be objective. Sons go to their mothers for emotional love, and affection, but sons need their father to be an instructor and a measuring rod to guide them into masculine maturity. And a father needs to evaluate his sons objectively and critique their behavior both fairly and correctly and a father needs to be the one from which his sons can get mature direction to put them on the correct path and playing favorites keeps a man from being objective and brothers can generally tell whether or not their father treats them fairly or favors one brother over the other and the brother who is not the favorite generally gets angry about it. And God admonishes fathers to not aggravate their sons by playing favorites. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, which says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And young men count on older men to be leaders. A father that lived in Southern California had a daughter who was his pride and joy. She developed into a beautiful young woman that attracted the attention of a young man that seemed to be an upstanding fellow. After the young man graduated from high school, he got a job and began going to community college while courting the young lady. After a couple of years of working and going to school, the young man moved out of his parents' home and rented an apartment. He invited his girlfriend to move in with him, and she came home to tell her dad. At first, Dad was uncertain as to what to do. He liked the fellow and he didn't want to alienate his daughter, but he knew that that which the young man proposed was wrong. His problem was that that which the young man wanted to do was also common, and Dad was not sure as to how his daughter and the young man would receive his disapproval he consulted his pastor who agreed that the young people were only proposing that which was common for this time but admonished the father that if he wanted them to think differently he would have to communicate his disapproval to them in the strongest possible terms so the father called the young man and invited him over for dinner dad instructed his daughter to send the young man out back to his shed When he arrived, and when the young man came over, dad was sitting in his shed overlooking the canyon behind his Southern California home, cleaning his shotgun. As the young man approached, the father waved him over and invited him to sit down. Young man, the father began, I used to have respect for you. You seemed like a nice, upstanding young man. But now I understand that you want to make my daughter into an unpaid whore. The young man's eyes got wide and he was speechless for a moment. He began to stammer, but the father cut him off. No, son, the father said, I'll talk. You listen. If you had come to me with an honorable proposal of marriage for my daughter, I would probably have been favorably disposed to listen. But this shacking up business has lost you my respect. I just want you to know that I own this canyon back here. And as you can see, I also own a gun. Now, I'm not generally a violent fellow, but there is no telling the amount of anger that I will feel if you treat my daughter disgracefully. And I'm not sure what I might do if I lose my temper. And it will take them a long time to find someone back here. And as the father glared at the young man, The young man regained his equilibrium enough to speak. "'Sir,' he replied, "'I meant no disrespect to you or my daughter. "'I like her a lot, "'and a lot of guys live with their girlfriends. "'I just thought, and the father cut him off.' "'I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt,' he said, "'because maybe you didn't know. "'But I'm telling you, "'there will be no shacking up with my daughter "'without consequences. "'Are we clear?' "'Yes, sir,' said the young man.' now we are going back into the house and have a nice dinner said dad but i don't want to hear any more of this shacking up talk ever again when you reach the point that you are ready to propose marriage come and see me but just remember whatever you do to my daughter i'm going to do the same thing to you do you understand yes sir said the young man and needless to say the two of them never shacked up and are now engaged to be married young men need older men to teach them the ways of the world and to keep them in check which is why fathers ought not provoke their sons to wrath by treating them badly but ought also let them know when they have crossed the line in no uncertain terms sons reach a point in which they have to pull away from their mothers to become men and they need an alpha male meaning a male that is clearly and primarily in charge to take over their training and boys without fathers still need an alpha male which it is why good which is why it is good that so many of them are on athletic teams or become eagle scouts of course in the worst case scenario Young men may find the alpha male in a gang and end up in prison, which is also staffed by alpha males who instruct young men as to what to do. But all males need someone who is alpha to guide them. Even Jesus Christ needed an alpha male when he considered the cross. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus appealed to his father for a pardon from the sacrifice but God gave Jesus his marching orders. God respond, Jesus responded in Matthew 26 and 42. Again, a second time, Jesus went away and prayed saying, "O oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And Jesus did what his father instructed him to do and went to the cross. He suffered, bled and died on the instruction of his father that our sins might be forgiven and that we might have a right to the tree of the eternal life that Adam rejected in the Garden of Eden. John three sixteen and 17 tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. And just as the fellow in California laid out the path for the young man, God laid out the path for Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ lays out the path for us. We can be saved by believing in the teaching of Jesus Christ and following his instruction, and there is a consequence for those who reject the word of the Son and the Father's wisdom. So let us rather reject the wisdom of the world, listen to the wisdom of God, and follow the path laid out for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning for this lesson, and we ask you, Lord, that you would help those of us here that are fathers and those of us listening that are fathers to be good fathers. Help us to not play favorites but help us to train our sons in the way that they should go so that when they get old, they will not depart from us. And help us, Lord, to influence those young men with whom we come into contact, that even if they do not have fathers in their homes, they might be able to learn from our examples and figure out the straight and narrow way and follow it that they might have an inheritance in your kingdom and now Lord we thank you for all who are in the house today and we ask you that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back once again at the appointed time and now Lord we thank you for all these things we thank you for your goodness for your mercy and for your grace and most of all we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning thank you Lord in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray Amen, and thank God. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed by this presentation. For more audio and video content, please visit familylifebc.com.